Hey, y'all, and welcome to another episode and a whole new season of the Sydney Coach Replay Show. I'm your host, Corey Camp. We've taken about a month and a half or so off, and here we are back again with one of my favorite guests, Steve Barkley. And I love our topic for today, Steve, because I know a big conversation last year, last semester especially, and especially as we've gotten, I actually just got my kiddos state test results in the mail yesterday, and is this idea of we've got a lot of work ahead of us as we come back into the schools. A lot of folks are going back in person this year. We are returning to normal if there is such a thing. <laughs> uh, I know you and I are going to talk a little bit about that, but really... Um, it is a stressful return, I feel, for a lot of our educators. We're excited. We can't wait to get back into our classrooms and be with our students. But we also have this stress of this idea of, you know, the learning loss, the COVID slide, and how do we overcome that? How do we get right into that? And so as we think about our return into schools and thinking about the are maybe moving from a problem focused mindset and reframing the problems, reframing the mindset. You wrote an amazing blog on this, which will make sure folks get access to the full blog. But you got a couple of, you know, big ideas around it, four big ideas for thinking about reframing the problem and reframing our mindsets. And so let's start with this first one, especially around this idea of kind of coming back to school and thinking about the learning loss. So I'll kind of let you take it from there. But before you start, I just want to remind folks, if you've got a question for us, if you're watching live, put it in the comments below and we might feature that during the show. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me, Corey. It's always, uh, always great to be with you. Yeah. Um, so a, a little bit as I, as I, uh, as I jump in here, um, I, I, as soon as we were looking at coming out of COVID, which knows mm -hmm. when that is now, but as right. soon as that was was raised, um, uh, I, I was sure we didn't want to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and in many ways, for me, what COVID did was it, uh, it 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 shined a light on strengths that we had, mm -hmm. and it and it shined a light on problems. Yeah, I, I don't know to what extent it really created new ones. They just kind of stood out there. Push them to the forefront, right? Yeah. Like social, right. emotional learning. Yeah, it was always important. Equity. Equity. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's always yeah. there. Um, really uh, shone a light on it, yeah. We, you know, the uh, inequity in uh, technology, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like that problem didn't exist. So it right. kind of shone a light on it. So um, I, I really I, I really had been thinking about this uh how do we refocus? How do we have a have a different mindset? Mm -hmm. So the the first uh, the first one of the four ideas that I pulled up uh, was focusing on love versus fear. Right. And very interesting. This is the one that triggered me to to write the blog, and it came from a, a friend of mine, uh, Adam Fishman, who uh, is leading a group on uh, climate uh, change. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he sent out this uh, this rather lengthy blog that um, he realized he had to change his mindset and that his mindset had been getting people to hate the bad things about the climate. 
And he realized instead he needed to switch to get people to focus on the things that they love <laughs> that they're going to lose. <laughs> right. We don't focus yeah. on those things that on these things that they love. So it was a lot easier to get energy uh, out of, out of people by focusing on on the on, on nature, uh, focusing on who are the people that grow the crops and how do we get the crops. And, and mm-hmm. that approach rather than the fear approach. And I'm I'm sitting there reading his piece and I'm going, wow, that, that's the issue we got for teachers. Right. If everybody's putting learning loss in front of the teacher, the last thing I want to do on an opening day of school when kids are finally back and I'm looking to build all this excitement is to have this picture in my mind of just how far behind are these kids? Mm-hmm. Are we going to get caught up? And mm-hmm. and and communicating that to the kids. And so my issue was, uh, let's fall in love with the fact that we've been waiting to have kids here in the room with us. Right. They're finally here. We, we've been waiting to do all the exciting things with kids. Um, we're, we're, we're tired of all the kids who are on Zoom and not clicking on the camera. Right. <laughs> so what are all the things and, and how does that change your mindset? If you if you walk into the school excited about all the things we can do and all the things we can accomplish and moving ahead. And I think that's so valuable. And as we think about, you know, our role in as instructional leaders, I mean, we really are the leaders in this in this reframing that message comes from us. Our teachers look to us to support and then reinforce and walk the walk, right? We can't say, oh, you know, don't worry about the learning loss and then, you know, shove data and all kinds of things in front of their face and say, how are we going to fix it? How are we going to fix it? We really do have to come from that place of love over where, fear. Where are we? Where yeah. are we? And where do yeah. we want to go? Yeah. And, and let's go. Let's be excited about going there yeah. rather than shining this light, uh, shining yeah. this light backwards. It, it has I- so it ha- it has pushed me um, uh, to to get teachers thinking that that it's it's about speeding things up and not remediating. And yeah. the more the more that I'm focused on loss on what kids didn't get last year, the more likely I am to take that remedial approach. And that's mm-hmm. not going to put anybody in the, in the right mindset for moving ahead. Yeah, you and I were just talking backstage about this uh, this big idea around acceleration rather than remediation and the importance of that and, and the questions that are coming around from that. But I also think, you know, there's something also here in this in this point, this love versus fear. You know, I my my nephew and, and niece are visiting here uh, this afternoon. They're all outside having pizza for lunch right now. And uh, when they came in, I said, "Hey, you guys excited for school to start?" They start a day before my kids do, and just they're just a town over. And I was really surprised because my nephew, who's not necessarily been one for school, was like, "I can't wait." I'm excited. <laughs> and I was like, "Are you sick? Are you okay?" But I think our students are also leaning into that excitement, right? They're, they're excited to be in a school, to have some space away from their parents or their siblings and, you know, to kind of just move back into school is now a little bit more exciting for them. And I think we've got to lean into that too. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Lean into the strengths and the things that they've learned over the past 20 some months and, um, you know, build upon that. So yeah. uh, I, I definitely love that. Um, so 
So let's think differently about learning loss is what I'm hearing here. Um, what else? What else kind of, because I know that that was just kind of the snowball. That was the tip of yeah, the iceberg. That got me started. Yeah. And then um, I, I found an article that said uh, we needed to think about schools as an ecosystem and an acorn. So when I dug into the ecosystem piece, uh, and this came from uh, uh, Sam Chowtain in, in my blog, I, I have all the links to all of their original stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he was talking about seeing an ecosystem rather than an assembly line. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I've always been big on the ecosystem. I'm a big uh, Margaret Wheatley fan. And, and Wheatley always talks about the way a system works is, is much more like uh, the, the way a school system should work, the way a school should mm -hmm. work is much more like an ecosystem than it is an assembly line. Absolutely. Should, but it has way too many assembly line pieces in. Mm -hmm. And uh, th th this has always sp uh, spoken to me because I paid my way through college on the assembly line. Right. I, I worked in the cardboard factory and it was a machine three blocks long. And at one end of the machine, giant rolls of paper were fed in and three blocks away, it spit out piles of cardboard. And my mm -hmm. job was to catch a pile and stack it. And uh, one day I saw a piece of cardboard jammed under a belt and I thought it might knock a belt off. And I went running over and shut down the system. And uh, a little while later, <laughs> very shortly later, a supervisor was screaming and yelling, what did you do? And I said, I thought, and that's as far as I got. And he informed yeah. me that catchers don't think they catch, okay? Um, oh, wow. this, is, this is your job, this is your piece. And, uh, and, and it dawned on me when I, uh, when I began teaching there was kind of this feeling. Uh, I started my student teaching and I, I watched the teacher for two days and then I tapped her on the shoulder and she stepped out and I stepped in. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, I'm back to, I'm back to being a catcher. And uh, so it really hit me now, it, go, go back to the learning loss. Um, are, are we worried about a learning loss because we're really thinking that uh, a fifth grade teacher can't take the kids from where they are when they come into her classroom and move ahead. I mean, are we really thinking that she can only handle the, 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 the assembly line delivery of here's where kids are supposed to be in, in, in order to, uh, in order to, to start your program. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I've been a, a big uh, proponent of uh, the only way to serve kids today is as a team and ecosystems, yeah. ecosystems are teams. It, it, it's, it's all interconnected. And I, I think coaches uh, need to dedicate a major chunk of time to building the, the team relations uh, of a school. And, and uh, I, I've, I've often said if I were an administrator, when I had my coach partnership uh, meeting with, the, with my coach, that would be one of my expectations, that the sense of team across the school will increase because of the work that the coach is doing. You know, and, and it's so interesting because I've, I've also always thought that our work should be more of an ecosystem, you know, and, I, and that was really because I came into education as a special educator and I didn't yeah. feel connected and I felt like I was, you know, you worry about the boxes on your assembly line, I'll focus <laughs> on them on mine. And it doesn't really work, right? We're not building boxes. Yeah. We are growing children, humans who are going to, you know, build into our society and, and grow our society. And so 
you know, I love this idea of thinking about our ecosystem and thinking about the implications of that assembly line. So how do we start to move away from that mindset and into this ecosystem? And I also love what you say about coaches having a, a secondary focus or maybe a, maybe a, a primary focus on the team aspect. That's something I've been talking a lot with my coaches is yes, your work is one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, when we think about our coaching cycles, we're typically thinking about that, but then you should also be looking for opportunities to support the collaboration of that one teacher with the rest of their peers and help them peer coach and build their capacity. So that way, you aren't having as the coach to be the only instructional support for each teacher as an individual, but you can really maximize your efforts, create tiered systems of support for your teachers where they've got team support and peer support and coach support. And that's all aligned with the support from the administrator. So years, I, years, years ago, I worked with a district uh, designing a mentor program for new mm -hmm. teachers, and they were trying to decide how long the mentor program should last. You know, is, is mentoring a sort of one year program, an 18 month mm -hmm. program. And they finally decided when the new teacher threw open the doors of her classroom and said, you may all come in. That was the end of mentoring. Mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. job of the mentor was to grow the teacher into that level of confidence and right. professionalism that they could actually enter in to that peer coaching relationship with everyone. Uh, yeah. and, and that is that that is an ecosystem that needs mm -hmm. to be built. Yeah, absolutely. Like we've, we've got to we do need to focus on uh, our own, you know, small part of the environment, but it is serving the larger environment there. So that that again, yeah. that ecosystem. Yeah. And I have to know how my part fits in. Right. So exactly. I'm, I've, I've always been big on a teacher has to have at least a three year commitment to kids. Mm -hmm. So a three-year commitment means you're engaged with the teachers and the kids the year before you're working with them. Mm -hmm. The year you're working with them, you're engaged with the other staff who are working with the kids. So if I'm teaching freshman English, I'm working with teachers who are teaching other freshman courses. And then I have to follow up because it's not until I get engaged with that, with that next person year. The next mm -hmm. year that I really understand what happened in the year that the kids are with me, I always told people, if you want to know how successful you were, go talk to next year's teacher. Go <laughs> to next year's teacher, right? That tells you a lot more than any test you gave during the year they were with you. Is Absolutely. Gonna, is gonna tell you. Absolutely. It reminds me of my, my um, friend, Andy McNair, and she always talks about, you know, designing experience, learning experiences rather than lesson plans because experiences yeah. stick with you. Right. And so if you really want to see if you did a good job, yes. Looking at, how much did that student retain into the next year? How do they continue to grow? Um, I think that is a, uh, I love this idea of this, you know, three-year commitment piece. There's and another, there's another word you used uh, that, that I, that I wanted to connect back. Mm -hmm. You used the, the term growing and, mm -hmm. and growing really connects you to the term ecosystem right. and it really connects you to the term environment. And right. I just recently found a, a, a quote from uh uh, Ken, Ken Robinson that I uh, that I put into a slide, but he, he says that uh, teaching is like being a gardener. Mm -hmm. You can't force the plants to grow. The best you can do is is to create that 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 environment. Yeah, cultivate that environment. Yeah. yeah. As a teacher, I've got to create that environment for the kids. So 
let's click back. The, the love part becomes critical rather than right. the fear part, okay? And then as a coach, I need to create that environment for the teachers. So that's another reason I promote the team is mm -hmm. that the team helps the coach create that environment just the way the teacher would want the kids in the classroom to help create the learning environment you want. Yeah. And, you know, I think for coaches, I think, you know, uh, things like as we are celebrating the small wins and successes with an individual we might be working with, how are you also shouting that from the rooftops, building that collective efficacy, connecting them with other people who might benefit then from my small win, you know, because they're struggling to get that same win. So, you know, I'm a little closer mental in my mental model to where that teacher is. So I might be a better support than maybe a yep. coach. Right. Absolutely. And so just as, as a instructional leader and as a coach thinking about how am I connecting the individual systems across the ecosystem together through team learning, through multiple means of sharing and communication and collaborating, um, and I think, I mean, tell me if you think I'm wrong, Steve, I think with all the technology that everyone was kind of forced in to learn last year, I think we've got quite a few great tools to help people do that, right? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, yeah. In increase that whole communication and connected piece and teaming piece. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Now, I want to go back to what you said about the teacher being committed for kind of the, the full three years, right, at minimum, because I think that leads us into your your next tip for reframing, <laughs> and that's long-term versus short-term. Yeah. Uh, this is that acorn conversation, yeah, which was really acorn. interesting to me. I was like, oh, I've got yeah. to learn more about this acorn idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sam Chaltain, uh his example uh, for this part was uh, – what he called the acorn brain versus the marshmallow brain. Yes. Okay. So, uh, and there's a, a great video clip that's in the resources mm -hmm. you put together for folks. So I hope they go get it. It's about, about a two and a half minute video that'll, that'll walk you through it. But the, the marshmallow brain goes back to the marshmallow experiments with the mm -hmm. three-year-old kids who were so short term, they, they couldn't wait the 10 minutes and get two marshmallows instead of one. They, they, they had, a, they had a, the one. Um, versus versus uh, valuing planting an acorn mm -hmm. and uh, uh, he he takes it uh, he, he connects it to a book uh, I just jotted down the author's name uh, Chris Krasnowski, um mm -hmm. wrote a book called the good uh, the good ancestor and it it, it, uh, it identifies where in some of the um, uh, in native cultures, they talk about thinking seven generations out. So mm -hmm. if you're making a decision now, what would people seven generations think when they reflect back on that decision that you made now? So mm -hmm. that's what it meant to be a, a good ancestor. And as I looked at that part, it, it, it pulled me back to, uh, and I think it's something we continually struggle with in schools, is that short-term versus long-term. Right. So it really clicked. I was working with a, a school district in New Jersey where kids were coming back to school July 1 for summer school. That was their first time back in the building from the previous year, March. So mm -hmm. from a year ago, March, all the way to July, the kids hadn't been in school. And they got a six-week summer program. 
and I, I was getting a chance to work with uh, uh, some of the administrators, curriculum, and coaches, uh, meeting the teachers. I said, well, where do you want the teacher's head to be? You know, do you really want to be thinking about what impact you can have on a child's math skills in this six-week period, or do you want to be thinking about this 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 child uh, at graduation, this child post-secondary? Mm -hmm. So, not that the math doesn't play a part, right, right? But if you're trying to decide, can I take the time for the to the for the social emotional? Can right. I take the time for the student to build these life skills, creativity, collaboration, yes, right. communication skills? Yes. So those things can never be important if you're thinking short term, because fortunately we aren't testing creativity. When right. we do, it'll probably be the end of creativity. Right. Um, <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but all those things that aren't being tested are mm -hmm. have got that longer term, longer term focus. Right. So how do I, how do I engage people in conversations? Whereas a teacher, I'm making decisions longer term. And again, I'm not overlooking the academics and the content, but I understand how it fits in. Rather mm -hmm. than this immediate thing trumps everything else that's that's on the agenda. Right. And I think that that really does involve a, a mental or a mindset shift. And again, it's a, you know, we, we've got to reframe our questions. We've got to reframe how we look at designing learning experiences for our students. Um, and for our know, teachers. And for our teachers. Yeah, absolutely. You bring up a really great point. I was talking, I was talking with an assistant superintendent who we were talking a little bit about project-based learning and how in their district, you know, they introduced it a few years ago and it just hasn't risen to the levels they were hoping it would. And they think they just emphasized, you know, the product so much more than, you know, the process of it. And they were in communication with other kind of collaborative group of schools, innovative schools that they're working with. And he's, you know, something that another smaller school just kind of said to us was, well, if you want your teachers to be doing project-based learning, you want everyone to be doing this, um, how does your professional learning <laughs> exactly. you know, model that? And they were like, oh, gut punch, you know? So, um, and really like we do, we do have to think about for our teachers, for our professional learning, as we are looking at mapping out our PD days and the specific things that will happen, how we facilitate team meetings, how we facilitate our staff meetings. Are we looking at these long-term pieces okay, absolutely. over those short-term pieces? That means, are we giving them opportunities to focus on love versus fear? Are we giving them opportunities to collaborate as an ecosystem, right? Rather than an assembly line. So I'm feeling it. I'm just seeing how all these things are just so yeah, intertwined yeah. together. You know, th th think think about a, a, a district. You know, they they've got uh, two PD days in the calendar, and they're mm -hmm. trying to plan something that the teachers are going to uh, experience in this one day and see something different back in the back in the classroom tomorrow. That right. you know, when when I teach for short term, I generally get short term learning. Right. So yeah, now I can check it off the box that the kid passed the end of the unit test. But that's why my conversation with next year's teacher is is so important because mm -hmm. I, we didn't plan the experiences that brought about the real long-term change. So mm -hmm. that's exactly where we got to be for the teachers as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, now I want to shift into the fourth uh, reframing that you have here for us. Um, and I really love this part of your blog and dug it more into some of the links that you share. So uh, talk to us a little bit about yeah, well, proximity to learners. Yeah. yeah. I, I first found uh, Nivia Avashia's, uh, I first found her on Twitter. And she had just a small uh, piece that she put in on uh, on on Twitter that uh, the the people who were making the decisions about how to go back to school uh, weren't talking to any kids. Yeah. <laughs> and she's a high school civics teacher in Boston, and she described that when the quarantine first hit and we had that that March to June, she said. I, I can tell you that what I did with my kids was terrible. And she said, once I realized that September was going to come and we weren't going to be back in school again, I know the only thing I could do was turn to my kids. Mm-hmm. So, so it was about, it was about going to my kids and identifying what worked and what didn't work. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and where do we go from, uh, where do we go from here? Yeah. And, um, she writes quite a bit about how if you listen to the voices of the kids, they'll they'll let you know what it is that uh, that 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 needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So then she connected it to the um, Just Mercy book, and uh, I, I got a chance to pull the movie up and watch it. And uh, the Just Mercy is a, is about a an attorney who is representing. Uh, minority poverty folks on, on death row who didn't get the, uh, the, the justice that, that, that they should have gotten. Um, and, and, and he writes that it's about proximity. You have to get into the lives of the people. And uh, if you see the movie, he goes and meets all their family members and everything as, as he's, as he's putting his case together to represent them. And, uh, she, uh, and Nivia says that that's where we that's where we've got to be with kids. So as yeah. I got thinking about that, I wondered to what extent that the quarantine actually got some of us in closer proximity to our kids. So teachers were suddenly inside kids' homes, mm-hmm. seeing what their study space looked like, seeing in some cases commotion, or they were inside homes where uh, the parents sat sat next to the uh, first grader and assisted them all the way through the process. Right. Right. Well, now both those kids are back in school. And the question is, am I looking at those kids the same way or am I remembering my, my proximity of the difference of, of what, 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 what those two students are experiencing. Mm -hmm. I know that in many cases, uh, empathy tremendously increased during the virtual time. Teachers right. became much more empathetic of their students. They requested much more feedback from their students. So they would teach something and then they would ask the kids, how did that go? And what could I do to make it better? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, teachers, uh, many teachers told me how much more empathetic their administrators were mm-hmm. than they were used to. And so I want to take everybody back to um, now that we're back in the building, are, are we going to lose those things? Or are we going to value the proximity and, and, and keep pushing it? Yeah. And one, one last connecting piece for me, in many school districts, communications with families tremendously increased. I was just about to say that. 
during, during the quarantine. So, I was just about to bring up family. Are we going to shut everybody down now? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, very early on, I worked at some schools and they said, wow, you know, we started doing parent conference and both parents are there on, mm -hmm. on Zoom. You know, one's, one's at work, one's at home, or they're both at work. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. both Zoomed in because they picked the time to Zoom in. And right. we didn't have to do all the conferences on one afternoon that we sent the kids home early. We right. spread them out. Spread Matter them fact, out. I, could, I, could, I could go home and make dinner for my own kids and then take time to, to have a, a, a conference. So I, I, th that whole proximity thing, um, I, I think we, we, we learned a lot from it. Mm -hmm. And what, what do we do to keep it? Yeah. And you bring up a valuable valuable point around that family engagement and, and having more student engagement. You know, something that I'm hearing from a lot of schools internally is we're going to keep some of our meetings, you know, virtual yeah. or virtual options for some of our kind of staff meetings. You know, maybe we aren't coming into the same room. They still want that because there's value in that. But you know, I've also heard some who've said, you know, our ARDS, our 504s, some of our, like, we now know that we can offer a Zoom in option as opposed to the parent taking a whole half of a day to be able to come drive in and be here physically. So looking at just what are some of those things that we can continue from the, um, our last year, year and a half together that, that still fit well within there's, this so we can keep that proximity, right? There's there's another the piece of proximity that I that I didn't mention and, and that's the reverse. Many parents got to see teachers teach. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that was either really exciting and enlightening or <laughs> had some other effects. But, but well, I mean, it's the part that I love. Parents, many parents had empathy for teachers. Yeah. Yeah, which was yeah. an important piece. Yeah, I think it, we just were all so much connected, so much more connected. And as you were talking, especially about the student voice piece, it made me go back to that ecosystem. And, you know, just as a reminder, our students are a part of that ecosystem. They are valuable members of that ecosystem. And so how are we connecting and collaborating with our students to continue to cultivate that ecosystem. Um, oh, I just yeah. think that's so valuable. A, Mar a Margaret Wheatley phrase, the greater the variety, the greater the diversity and uh, quality of relationships within an organization, the easier it can deal with change thrust mm -hmm. upon it from the outside. Mm-hmm. So if you think about an ecosystem that's very limited in diversity, if you pull the food group out, the whole ecosystem crashes. Right. But in a very diverse ecosystem, you pull a food group out, everything can shift and adjust to deal with the issue. So mm -hmm. if you think about putting all four of these items together, what you're doing is creating that, 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 that rich ecosystem driven by love, driven by relationships, driven by communication because of the proximity. And that's the organization that can deal with change thrust upon it from the outside. Mm -hmm. And as schools, we're continually going to deal with change thrust upon us from the outside. I mean, you watch the news every day now, you know, opening school can be a week away and we still don't know what we're going to be dealing right. with. Right. What announcement the governor's uh, going to make, uh, what the Delta variant's going to toss into to, to the mix. And, mm -hmm. and so the stronger we build that ecosystem, the better we can handle whatever it is that we're going to have to face. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it kind of reminds me around this idea of change resilience. One of my favorite quotes from Julie Wilson at the Institute of Learning, she talks about, you know, our leadership work and our, our work in kind of school reform transformation is should be less about how do I manage the resistance to change and more about shifting mindsets to how do I build change resilience, right? And so I think ecosystems, this, this ecosystem mentality is definitely a part of that. Um, yeah, I just, and, so many connections. And, 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 and thinking longer term, that, mm -hmm. that's, that, you know, right. that, that allows you to breathe and build the, build the ecosystem. Right. If Think like an those, acorn, not a marshmallow. That, that's right. You, <laughs> yeah, you're 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 gobbling up the. You know, there, there's 15 minutes on the clock this period, and I have to use it to get this math problem in. Mm -hmm. uh, when I walked all over uh, how the kids walked in today. Um, yeah. Longer term means I, I'm I've got the capability of keeping both things on the on the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. So this is big. This is big for coaches. Uh, I, in my mind, it says uh, a, a lot of listening by the coaches so they can first identify what are the mindsets that teachers are working from mm -hmm. and then being able to uh, to introduce these other mindsets. Yeah, I, I agree for, agree with that. And I want to point out something. Uh, we've got one of our viewers, Kathy Renfrew. She's been a guest on the Coach Replay show before. Says, you know, it's, it's about finding the assets, looking for the yeah. good things we want to bring back into our building building the network and the ecosystems, you know, it's an opportunity for us to, to rebuild, to create new bridges, I think, uh, across some of our teams who haven't collaborated together I'm, as much. I'm seeing it as an exciting time. I mean, yeah. I, I've been sharing with folks. I know like, you were talking about retiring. I'm so glad you didn't. There's, there's no way. There's no way. I think the next yeah. three to five years are so exciting with potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you know the technology piece being one, the the realization, the the strengths that we, I, I think in many ways we really discovered how strong educators are mm -hmm. when you think about what uh, what teachers do and how strong and resilient kids are. Yeah, what what, what kids learn and, and parents. I mean the the eco the strengths many of the strengths of the ecosystem shown brightly. Yeah. And now let's capture them and not cover them back up to go back to something that existed before. Well, and kind of going back to that proximity to learners, that was another piece that I heard from many of the teachers that I worked with and coached who were doing fully virtual um, teaching last year is they were like, I'm just amazed at how much these students can do and how little I actually have to know about a piece of technology or like even I have, got, I bring in a half-baked idea about, you know, a Minecraft kind of connection to a lesson and it becomes a project for an entire year that we continue to add new things into or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, they were really amazed and all of those teachers, you know, are thinking, into this next year with that as part of a frame of their mindset is how do I continue to expand upon that? How do I continue to honor that? Um, all it's that, that critical, my teachers critical yeah. that coaches keep that on the forefront. Absolutely. Keep, keep bringing the teacher back to, back what did to you learn, pieces. what did you discover and, mm -hmm. and, and, and how, how are you, how are you going to apply that, apply that down? What new yeah. opportunities what new opportunities do those uh, technology uh, assets and the skills, technology, the kids' skill and technology, the kids' uh, 
uh, many kids uh, uh, developed uh, uh, time management uh, skills during this. Or executive functioning. Yeah, executive functioning skills, absolutely. And so let's not take those away from kids now. That mm-hmm. we've got them back in the got it got them back in the classroom. Yeah, we don't need to put a crutch there. We don't need to build that for our students. So, and I think that's again just being reflective and mindful of um, and keeping that proximity to learners. I love that that you have that in as the fourth one. I want to remind folks and and give you just a sneak peek of the takeaway for today's episode. Every one of our episodes has takeaways with a few key points here summarized for you. Links, you can find the link to Steve's um, original blog on reframing the problem and reframing the mindsets. The link to that video uh, on that marshmallow uh, experiment. And also, again, we've talked a lot about teams and how that can be a, um, a, a kind of a structured pathway for bringing in these different shifts in our mindsets and thinking about how we support and connect our teachers. And so a couple of great resources here for those coaches those, and leaders. Yeah, those articles on on Teams uh, will, uh, will lay out some great guidance for uh, administrators and coaches. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I've got Margaret Wheatley's connections to uh, teams uh, that built into those. So mm-hmm. people can access that. Yeah, definitely. You can also find uh, the info to be able to follow uh, and subscribe to Steve and all of his amazing resources that he puts out. I know we'll have you back. We were just talking uh, before the show about having you come back on to talk about some accelerated learning and, um, you know, kind of looking at our, our teachers at being able to do that. So, it's always such a joy to have you on, Steve. Thanks so much for being our first guest. You're for very welcome. Three. So, I'm excited. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Take care. All right. Thanks, Steve. You Y'all, be sure, to, yes, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to our show so you never miss another episode. And you can always watch us on demand if you're busy during the live shows. Thanks, y'all, and have a great day.